Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. When you know someone as well as I know Kevin, um, I could tell you a thousand stories. Um, some inappropriate in this kind of context. <laughs> um, some that have seriously marked my impression of him over the years. Um, we, I would call him a friend. I hope he would still call me a friend after all these years. Um, but if I was to try and describe my friend Kevin to someone who hadn't met him, and you'll meet him in a few minutes if you haven't met him already, um, I would say that he's not a man with a message. And uh, I know lots of men with messages. They've, the world is full of people with something to say. It's well-crafted, it's well-executed, and it's well-rehearsed. He's not a man with a message, although he has those attributes. This man is a message. This man is the message of God to the body of Christ. This man carries and personifies the reality of an aspect of God's nature that when you happen to be within two or three feet of it, you start to understand that it's more caught than it is taught. He has become the host, the host here on earth of the revelation of the Father heart of God. And we are a church that's well established, but even in these four, short few hours we've had together, I've sensed a shift in the atmosphere as people's hearts are opening up and receiving and being responsive to all that God has given him to carry. And he carries it tenderly, with humility, and with a passion to see other people come into its fullness. So I'm not introducing you to a man with a message. I'm introducing you to a friend of mine this morning who is a message. And this is where it comes from. It says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. When God's Word becomes flesh to us, His presence is available to us. So would you welcome Kevin Pete, please, as he comes to minister to us this morning. Thank you. No pressure. <laughs> My word. That's a great introduction. Good work, Tanner, wasn't it? Well, it'll take it off the ministry gift. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Hello up there. You know, I walked around the church in the worship time and something very rare happened. I, I speak... 45 churches a year probably all over the country and um, sometimes overseas very rare thing happened here this morning I walked around and I saw from the beginning to the end and I even saw upstairs people just worshipping it's very rare I always say, used to say to young pastors when I was a, a regional leader don't be fooled by the first three rows because you, you've got your fanatics on the first three rows. <laughs> They'll worship when now's happening. They'll just go for it. They're planted by the worship team just to give them hope. So you, you never judge a church by the first three rows. You've got, you've got the keeners, mustard, probably the biggest tithers. They're all here on the first three rows. But then you get towards the back. <laughs> you even get to those who've got no children but still sit upstairs. 
and and you're you're looking around and and you normally feel the temperature go cooler and I say to young pastors if you want to know what's really happening in your service go for a stroll and have a look you'll see the chewing gum the the kissing the passing of drugs you you'll you'll see it all on the back few rows all over the country in Ealing by drugs I meant paracetamol of course faith boosters but Simon said some things really in the atmosphere now I can't tell you that because I only come I came four years ago and it snowed so I that's my only memory of four years ago but I was so ex I've been so excited I sense in the spirit something's afoot here in Sally Oak and um, I'd love to stand on every church platform that I speak on and I'd love to say the same things but go on the internet and look at some of my old sermons and you'll find I won't say it because it's not true and if I've learned anything you've got to speak the truth and but I just really sense there's something that's beginning to break here and it's absolutely brilliant and I tell you you need to pursue it welcome it embrace it I'm not even going to suggest what it would look like but you just sang some songs about be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and I think it's on the way and when it does church will never be the same I'm telling you when you're overwhelmed by the Spirit all bets are off it's just we had a season in Glasgow where people in the worship came off the streets and came walk forward and bowed down and wanted to receive Jesus in the worship no no preaching nothing we saw a man with Alzheimer's healed we saw just amazing things and guess what I had absolutely nothing to do with it it was him because he's always looking for hungry congregations because he wants to come where people are hungry and, I, and I'm not trying to be rude he will pass over and he'll find another brand that's hungry for his presence so stay hungry it's my pleasure it's great to be with Simon and Jade we went out for wonderful and Emily went out for a great Indian last last night and we ate too much and the burger alarm not the burger alarm the fire alarm went off in the hotel at five o'clock this morning I was walking walking around Longridge with Margaret looking out for all sorts of people some weird people about at five in the morning <laughs> I suspect they were Baptists but I, I, I can't prove it uh, but so I'm a little bit tired we've come down from Glasgow on Friday to speak yesterday we had a great day with some people that were here yesterday and Simon's invited us to speak about issues of the heart and I really felt this morning I want to share something very precious to me um, this is something the message I want to share with you today the concepts not this message personally because it's a new message but the heart of what I want to talk about changed my life in my 40s to such a, a way and a level that I would say I've had almost like two lives I've had a life up to 40 and I've had a, a life 40 onwards to where I am today 
the first 40 years of my life, I spent trying to develop my front stage. The person that you see, I was all about, um, when I was younger, I was tr trying to be the best footballer. Uh, I wanted to project the... I wanted to get a beautiful girlfriend and I got the best girlfriend and became the best wife in the whole world. When I went into ministry, I wanted to become a really good preacher. I wanted to project. I wanted to wear the underpants on the outside that are red and be super pastor. I wanted to be the absolute best I could be. And I spent 40 years and we started to build a church in Glasgow and it was successful and we saw the church grow from 45 people next year it was 100 the year after it was 200 and it grew to 400 people and we were traveling all over the place talking about church growth and we were all of this stuff and it was all front stage but when I got to 40 my backstage began to kick off and if you don't deal with your backstage, it will eventually deal with your front stage. Have you ever wondered, in the last couple of years, we've seen some great Christian leaders come crashing to earth? If you've read any Christian press, you've read about some amazing men and women of God who you thought, my word, they're just amazing. And then suddenly, it's like their whole thing's crumbled down to nothing. And you think, what's that all about? My humble opinion, as being in the ministry for nearly 40 years, is the backstage of some of these people never got dealt with, but their front stage was 10 star, but their backstage was not right. And the backstage eventually deals with the front stage. And so I want to talk in a few moments about... And I subtitled, the title of the sermon is Healing the, the Orphan Heart. The subtitle of the sermon is The Problem Nobody Has. Because if you ask me up to 40, did Kevin Pete have an orphan heart? No. I'm washed in the blood. I'm standing on the word of God. Everything is good. Every obstacle's going to fall at the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And I was a paid-up Pentecostal man of God. Woo! But that was front stage. That's me standing, trying to encourage faith, trying to be faithful. Nothing wrong with it. It was all perfectly okay. But I started to notice in my early 40s, I started to get anxiety attacks and a bit of depression. And I'd go home most Sundays had great meetings, power of God, but I felt empty, and I felt alone, and I felt something isn't right, so, and I began to realize, as I was the man who didn't have any problems, that I got a wee bit of problem, doctor, and I began to address some of the issues, and I want to talk to you about Maybe first of all, and this, this morning, my object, or my, what I, I want to try to get through, is to get below the front stage and ask you to come backstage of your life. I can't go backstage. You all looked, and the worship was incredible. It's like I was talking to 250 spirit-filled, power-packed, 
perfect Christians in Selly Oak. But I suspect that somewhere behind the stage, some things don't always work out. And we carry in disappointments and problems and issues. And I'm going to turn to that in just a moment, if I can. But before I do that, I want to just mention, the last, the last um, congregation bought most of Margaret's books, so we've only got a few left. But on the way out, just to mention, my wife is on the front row and she's going to come and play the piano at the end um, and just read some scriptures over us. Um, she's written ten books now. And this is the latest book that I would just like to say. The Man Who Was God. It's, it's 33 miracles of Jesus. Um, a couple, month, few months ago, we were saying, why don't we see more miracles? Whoever got free of cancer, praise God. You know, I've buried too many people in the last year. Three past, in my last year as the regional leader, three ministers died. Two of cancer, one of COVID. And it was the most heartbreaking end to my ministry. Uh, and the last one was a 35-year-old boy. Well, he's a boy compared to me. Two children died, cancer. Diagnosed two weeks, two weeks later he was dead. And you think, what's this about, Lord? And, and it's hard to understand. And this book was part of the thing that Margaret wrote, The Man Who Was God. It's a devotional talking about the 33 miracles of Jesus and talking about the people that, and it deals with some of the issues of the hearts of the people as well as the supernatural. My favorite book, if you don't like dogs, don't even go to the table because this is a dog book. That is our dog, was our dog. He died two months ago. We have no children. I make no apologies. He was our substitute child. We loved him. We, we don't even say, oh, no, he wasn't. He was. He slept in bed. He, he, was, he was absolutely... I think my wife loved him more than me at some time. <laughs> he certainly got more kisses than me. Anyway, but she wrote this book a few years ago, and she wrote it with the view of, like, just fulfilling the writer's itch. She says, nobody will buy it, but I'm going to write it. It's became the best-selling book she's ever written. And it's a 31-day it's devotion on the Father heart of God. If you want to know God as your Father, and we wanted to do a lot of these weekends and leave people with, with something to go through, and that's a 31-day devotions that will help you. And when Margaret did that, people who love cats say, will you write a book about cats? So Margaret, always being willing to be blessing, wrote little thoughts from great cats. Because you know, cats think they're great. Cats don't, don't do small. They, they, they all think they're the best thing in the world. And this was written with the idea that if you know somebody who's yet not, who is a cat lover, but not yet a God lover, it's been a great evangelistic tool to give something of scripture, but it's, it's in the form of stories of cats for people to read. And we've actually had testimonies of people who've come to faith in Christ through those books, which is absolutely fabulous. Whew! That early morning is getting to me. Could we, could we, let's just have a soaking time, shall we, instead of me preaching? Because I'm, I'm feeling like I'm a bit weary. And, and the, curry's, the curry's resting here. So oh, I've got to be careful how I move. 
yet to fulfill its function. John 14 verse 18 says this, John 14 verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus' words to the church. And um, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you want to turn to 2 Samuel, we're going to read these passages now, then we'll, we'll come back to it in just a moment. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I want to read you a story about somebody who I have come to recognize has some of the issues that I had. And in da- it says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Micaiah, son of Amimiel, in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Mekur, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. David said in verse 7, which is where we're going to be most of the sermon, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat at my table. You would think that is good news. This is his winning the lottery day, This is just the best news a crippled slave who's lost everything could ever see. But see what he says in the next verse. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Can you see he's in possession of good news? but he's still reacting out of the heart of an orphan. He's still reacted. He's just been told his number's won. Everything's going to be great. So I'm going to pray and get into this. Could I ask you, as I'm going to pray, I want to just say off the bat, this isn't a sermon for your head. I'm asking you to allow God to come backstage. I cannot come backstage in any of your hearts. I can't do it. I can't even do it with my own wife. Only you have the key to your backstage. Only you can have the courage to ask God to come backstage and to see if there's anything of an orphan heart or anything that's maybe not right that we can apply the Holy Spirit to 
to make our life better. Is that a good thing? You're not sure. It's a good thing. And I want to encourage you as I pray, if it helps you, even to put your hand on your heart. Because I don't want to just, I, I really want God to speak to each one of you. So if you're comfortable, just put your hand on your heart and say to your own spirit, Lord, here's my backstage. I want to allow you to come backstage. And Father, I pray. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll just refresh me. I'm physically, I'm just a bit tired, Lord. But I just pray right now that the Holy Spirit would refresh me to give these words to these people. And Lord, I know it took me 40 years to let you access my backstage. So I understand, Lord, if that's a reluctance, and for some people it not, might, might not be the right time. But I just really pray for those, Lord, who are brave enough to say, come and you have access to all areas of my backstage. Come by your spirit of revelation and speak to me, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. At this moment, I'm 68 years of age. You wouldn't believe it looking at me. I know some of you are thinking I'm telling fibs. He's 78. But I'm 68 years of age. As I tried to say, the first 40 years, I was all about projection and front stage and getting the job right and being busy. Nothing wrong with that. But when I began to come unstuck... And a Christian psychiatrist friend of mine called Dr. Grant Mullen said, for most people in his caseload of people he speaks to, for most people, the issues start to surface when you're 40. So 40, 42, that's when the stuff, if it's not been dealt with, if it's not been sorted out when you're younger, it begins to resurface. And in me, it was manifesting with anxiety issues, stress issues, a lot of fear issues, a lot of stuff was happening in my backstage. I spent 10 years, I spent 10 years of my life seeking God till I was 50, 10 years just allowing the Holy Spirit to come to speak into the areas of my heart and life. And I've spent the last 18 years trying to live my life in a balance. I've tried every now and again to go backstage, front stage, get better, and I've tried to balance my life out that there are seasons, that's why I said... Next week, there may be a Bible study where it's going to be a lot of knowledge, but this is really something aimed for our hearts. I know we all have fruit. The Bible says it's by your fruit that you know them. And I discovered when I hit 40, the front stage, I was very successful. I was invited all over Scotland to preach all the churches in Scotland, would you come and speak about church growth? Would you come and speak about the secrets of what you've learned, how to grow a church, blah, 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 de, blah, de, blah. But I realized when I did open the door, there were lots of issues. Just mention a couple of issues here because they're pretty common in a lot of people. For me, one of the big issues was shame. When I was born 68 years ago, um, my dad wanted a girl. And when I was born, he put his coat on and walked out of the house and refused to even look at me as a new baby because he was so disappointed. My mum didn't want to have a second child, third child. And so 
I feel like the first part of that shame coat came on me at birth. And I grew up and I had a speech impediment and I used to stutter all the time. Had to go to special elocution lessons and everybody at school, you know what kids are like. They pick on you because you're not, make you embarrassed and you'd get very embarrassed because you couldn't speak. I couldn't use a telephone till I was 17 years of age. My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she would get me to phone her at night so I could get used to a phone because I got this fear of using a phone and stuttering on the telephone. And uh, that brings shame. I, was, I just was assumed that I would never get married because I thought, if you can't speak to a girl, how can you ever ask one out? How's it going to happen? Get married. Want to have some kids. No kids came. Shame. My life, it just seemed there were so many things that I'm ashamed of behind the scenes. And what does that lead to? That leads to the second issue, striving. What do you do? You try to overcome it by working harder. It's what men do. We have a problem, work harder. Things aren't working out. Well, if only you get down, get sweating, get working, do more, press it all down, bung it all to the bottom and just get on and do it. No one's going to help you if you don't help yourself. Get out there, do it. And I strived. I wanted people to love me. And so there's someone in the church says, you don't speak about the second coming, so next week, he's coming back. There's somebody over here, you never speak about hell, pastor. If you don't get saved, you're all going to go to hell. And I'm trying to please all these jolly people. There's somebody over there say, you never talk about the love of God. I love him. You know, <laughs> you never talk about sanctification. You know, I'm thinking, there's so many blooming things to please, but everybody wants something else. And yet then, you, then you've got this wonderful thinking called worship. There's nothing more divisive in the last 30 years than worship. It's too loud, it's too soft. It's too repetitive. Don't you know any other songs? In the old days, we had songs with hymns, with verses, with different words. Nowadays, we get stuck on a line for 25 minutes. <laughs> and we know that line. Could we have another one? There's about a million songs on the computer. Why are we stuck with Holy Spirit? You know, you know what I'm saying? Never happens in Sally Oak. Nobody ever thinks that way. So I was striving. I wanted people to like me, and I wanted to be that super pastor. I wanted to please everybody. Guess what? You can't. What happens when you strive? You get more stress. When you get more stress, you get more depressed. It's a vicious circle. Then the third issue I identified in when I began to open my spirit was, I've got this awful fear of being rejected. That if you knew the real me, if you knew sometimes what I think, if you knew the real Kevin, what he's really like, you wouldn't like it. So I want to project a Kevin that you think you'd like. And I want to project the right Kevin to you. It's exhausting trying to be all things because if you're fearful that people reject you, don't become a minister. Don't become a minister. It is the worst, it is the worst profession. It's like the football team. Everyone knows, everyone knows how to play football from the, from the stands. You wouldn't last 10 seconds on the pitch, but you all think you do. 
And you have to live with that. What about hiding? What about hiding away from situations and you, you hide yourself, your personality, things that are really you? Insecurity. Incredibly insecure person. You know, I'd go to the door, 100 people would shake my hand, 99 would say, great sermon pastor, one baptizing vinegar church member. <laughs> There's no one, no one in Salioku is that one who feels their goal and mission in life given by God is to keep the minister humble. You're, there's nobody in here who feels they have the gift of humiliating the pastor. And the one person would say to me on the door, you were a bit off today. <laughs> or would say to me, oh, that, I thought that joke was far. Well, I shouldn't have used that joke. I couldn't have brought a friend. They'd be embarrassed. 99 people have told me they were blessed. One person has been critical. What do I do? I go home and I worry the whole afternoon about the one person who didn't like me. Am I talking to anybody real here? Can you recognize some of this stuff? It was in my heart. Yet yeah, I'm successful in ministry. I'm praying my socks off. I'm working for Jesus. But there's something in the background, something in the backstage that needs to be right. And of course, all of this leads to fear. And I'm, what I wanted to do this morning to say, well, that's okay, that's your testimony, Kevin, but is this in the Bible? Is this in the Bible? That's why I picked Mephibosheth. I think you can see every issue I've just mentioned in the story of this boy. Breaks my heart what happened to this boy. It was so sad. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, we first read about Mephibosheth. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old. Five! Aren't five-year-olds cute? If you've got a five-year-old grandson, don't you just love or a five-year-old granddaughter. I remember when you were five, Emily. Yes, you were nice when you were five. <laughs> you still are now. You're 32. You're still nice. <laughs> he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan, what was that news? I'll tell you. But the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. One tragic, traumatic day. The boy is destined for royalty. We've heard a lot about royalty in the last two weeks. This guy is born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Ahead of him is going to be a great college education. He'll probably be in the military. And one day he will be the king. He's got a great history. One day, everything ends in tragedy and trauma. His granddad, the king, doesn't die of natural causes. Dies in battle. His daddy... Jonathan, his dad, dies as well. 
there's no mention of the mother anywhere to be seen here. He's lost everybody who loved him. And as you probably know, in the Old Testament, when people were conquered, what the conquerors did, they found any child who could possibly later take on the throne. And so they would have searched for this boy and they would have killed him. So he had to escape or he would die. So his nurse grabbed him and he's lost everybody. He's he's a little five-year-old and everything's changed. And it gets even worse because he falls over and he breaks his legs. So he's disabled. I'm told there's lots of nurses in this church. Lots of doctors come to the church. You could have sorted him, ladies. If he'd come to your casualty ward, you could have plastered his little legs. Doctors could reset his legs and he would have been perfectly okay. But there wasn't the skills in those days and so he was crippled. Is there anybody's ever had such a bad experience as this boy? He's lost everything. And so he goes to live. He's exiled to a place in the Bible called Lodabar. And Lodabar, if you don't know, was probably the worst place to go and live. That we're told it was desert, dry, there was no grass, so food was hard to, to grow, animals didn't fill their function very well, everything was tough. And it was dry and dark and barren and damp and he's there and he can't walk and he should have been the king's son. And he's lost everything. Do you think you can see some of the issues that I'm talking about? Do you think this boy, because he couldn't walk, do you think he was full of shame because he couldn't function like a man? Do you think he tried his best out of all of this? It says he went to work in someone's house. He's gone from being people waiting on him hand and foot. He's gone to take the job of a servant. Maybe to get a shekel or two to stop himself dying. But he'd be striving. Do you think he might have suffered something of rejection? Do you think he might have carried rejection in his heart? People should be bowing down to me and I'm bowing down to them. And people are looking at me because I can't walk. You know, people were cruel to me when I stuttered. But people in those days were very cruel to people who couldn't function. So there would have been rejection. What about hiding away? He's hiding in Lodabar. The worst place to live is hiding. I wonder whether he could misinterpreted things. Do you think he got things wrong when the king sent for him? What do you think he was thinking? Do you think he could have thought the king's going to get him to kill him? Do you think there was a good chance that he didn't know that David wanted to be kind to him? He's just been sent for. He says, they fetched him. I wonder how they fetched him. He must have been, every step of that journey, he must have been anxious, thinking, this could be my last few hours of life. And there would have been fear in all of his heart and life, all of his life. Fear of being found. And I can see those issues in him without trying to over-preach it. 
Bishop Tudor from Zimbabwe calls the, the orphan heart, he calls it the split soul syndrome. I don't want to get upset over a, a terminology if you prefer a split soul. But I could see my characters in this man. And I want to say to you guys, metaphorically, spiritually, where are you living? If you say to me at Edgebaston, you're not listening to me properly. If you say you live in Long, Long something or other, Longbridge, fire alarms go off there, don't live there. I'm not asking where you live, I'm saying where are you living your life? Because I suspect one or two of you are living in Lodabar. I suspect some of you there's a barren dryness and there's a lack of fruit in your life. And there's issues and stuff that in your backstage. And you think, why am I always worried? Why am I all I know the Bible, I know Jesus, but you know, the last time I smiled was 1987. Because life is so blooming tough. And things have happened to my life. I wonder where you're living. I wonder, can you smell the grass? Or when was the last grass around? When was the last time that there was real fruit in your life and real joy? Wonder whether you're living. But you know, the great news is, and I'm so excited to share this with you, he didn't stay there because God did something. And he did something for me, a simple little kid from Derby, Left school at 11, no 11, I left school at 15. Um, didn't, I failed me 11 plus. The, I mean, I was about this for bad luck. The day of the second part of my 11 plus, I thought I was going to go to grammar school, and on the day of the exam, our dog died. It's, me and dogs, I don't know what it is with me and dogs. And the dog died, and I went to school, did the second part of me 11 plus, and I cried all the way through the exam, because my doggy had died. And I failed. So I went to secondary modern, where the tough boys go. <laughs> oh, I don't know whether they still have secondary modern, but even the girls there spit chews. Uh, and so we're there, we're there in, in this place, and life's tough and dry. But there's some good news. And I discovered it at 40. And I'm praying that for some people here today, there'll be a little chink in this, I'm okay, I, I don't need this, to realize that all of us at some point need some of this. And so they send for him. He comes, he comes before the King David, and in verse 7 there are four words, four sentences. I believe I've come 320 miles to tell you these four sentences. I believe they're God's heart for Sally Oak, this church, and for you wherever you're sat. If you're, I, don't, I didn't look around at the people here for the first time. If this is your first time, well, maybe God's brought you here just to hear this. If you've been here 5,000 times, God's brought you here to hear this. And here's the four things. Once you begin to get a chink, once you begin to open the heart to the backstage, and he gets things. The very first thing he says to him in verse 7, he says, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. 
because David spots he's frightened. Because it should have been Mephibosheth. When Jonathan died, he was the next heir to be the king. It should have been the other way around. That's what life should have been. And he's there. And he's anxious because he's thinking, is he going to kill me? But he says, no, don't be afraid. What's the most common issue? Why does the Bible say 365 times, don't be afraid? Why doesn't he say 365 times, verily, verily, you should tithe? Every pastor wish he would, but he doesn't. He doesn't say 365 times, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. That would be a good one to have 365 times. He doesn't. He says 365 times in the Bible, fear not, don't be afraid. Do you think God understands that, excuse me earth, do you think God understands we have a problem with fear? And to go for your destiny, and to go for your max life, you've got to face the fear issue square on. If you don't face the fear, the fear will deal with you. I speak to people all the time who have regrets that they never stepped out the boat and they settle for less than because of fear. Don't be afraid. How do we deal with fear today? Well, 1 John 4 tells us that perfect love. Join the dots. The love of the Father, the love of God. Perfect love casts out fear. You know, I've known what it's like to be so terrified of life, to be gripped by fear. It was a big, big, big issue in my life. I, don't, I can't profess to be fearless, but it has shrank in my life. I went to the doctors on Friday to tell me I've got to, well, not got to, I can decide to have a fourth knee replacement. I've only got two legs. <laughs> and he wants, me to have a, he wants me to have a third knee revision on my left knee. And I said to him, my name is Billy, not Silly. Why would I go through that again? Anxiety, fear, don't be afraid. And then he says these words. Second thing, first of all, he says, don't be afraid. So, if you're prepared to open your heart today, God says, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. You know, remember when you played football, guys, and someone kicked you really hard? It really hurt. And you, you used to jump up and go, is that the best you can do? You would never admit to being hurt, but when you went home, you'd tell your wife, oh, my leg, my leg, just look at my leg, darling, it's really hurting me, it's so bad. But you, you don't, you've got the macho, machismo, that comes in. Then he says there, second thing, don't be afraid, number one, second thing, he says, I will show you kindness. And that, that word kindness is not good enough. It, we don't, it's a great word, but it's not good enough. The actual word there used in the scripture is the word hesed, the Hebrew word hesed. And I love to say hesed because it means more than kindness. It means extraordinary grace and love from God. 
When he says, I want to show you God's kindness, he's saying, I want to show you God's hesed. Is anybody up for kindness today? Anybody, anybody in this church would say to me, you know, I'd just love some of God's hesed to help me get through this thing called life with a bit more grace and peace. He said, I will show you. Then he says, thirdly, he says, I will restore to you. I will restore to you. Anybody in Celio lost anything in the last 10 years? Have you lost peace? Have you lost money? Have you lost position? Have you lost family prestige? Have you lost loved one? Have you lost your dignity? And you feel that you've got no self-esteem? In Glasgow, we had a season where we had at least 10 prostitutes get saved. And we saw God put their dignity back together living one of the worst lives that they could possibly live because of drug addictions and all that. And we saw God give them dignity back. We baptised a lady, bless her, and she'd been, had an awful life. And she was, oh, she'd been through all sorts. And she'd lost all of her hair with alopecia. Remember, Doc? And she used to wear a cap. And I thought she was a guy and she was a girl. And on the night we baptised her, for the first time, she put a dress on and she put a wig on. And I had to put her in the tank and make sure I didn't move the, the, the rug because I thought we might have a floaty. And, uh, we, and I'm stood there and she stood next to me and this is the roughest woman I've ever known. And yet God had shown kindness to her and she gave her back her feminine dignity. I've seen God do it and he's done it for me and I stand here today and I want to tell you, this boy who couldn't put two words together, this boy who had to go to speech lessons, this boy who was a fright, I've travelled the world doing the very thing that everyone mocked me for, everyone laughed at me, and I've travelled the world doing the thing. God has shown me hesed grace. He's shown me amazing grace. And I stand here speaking to you. I've got three knee replacements, a stent in my heart, diabetes too. My middle name is Lucky. I'm, I'm, I'm standing here and I can't believe God's so kind. Not only did he give me a nice wife, he gave me the best wife in the universe. It's just amazing. We had the best dog you could possibly ever have. We had a couple of demonic cats, but we won't go into that. If you like cats, that's for you, but I've never liked cats very much. He's been kind. The kindness of becoming friends with Simon and Jane. And I've met some lovely people. And I've met some really clever people. You know, I left school at 15. Didn't go to Bible college. Only Greek word I know is kebab. <laughs> and I sat with Dr. R.T. Kendall for dinner. One of the greatest theologians and great... And he, he said to me, he asked me, he said, what would you do, Kevin, in this situation? He's asked Dr. R.T. Kendall, he's asking a Dumbo like me for advice. Kindness. Guys, up there in the cells, God will let you out of there. He's kind to you. He's kindness. He's a kind God. 
He doesn't want to whip you. He doesn't want to tell you you're useless. He doesn't want to tell you that you're the worst Christian in Sally Oak. Because Simon is. <laughs> so don't you worry. What's worth, if you even were, were the, because someone must be the worst Christian in Sally Oak. Must be somebody who's got that title. But God's grace, his kindness, his hesed, this young, young guy's here, God's got grace for you. You girls in the back in the corner, looking at your text, God's got grace for you. No, you're not looking at your text. That's over the back row there. I will show you. You know, I find this very moving person because I'm sharing with you honest to God's truth. This changed my life. This, this, wasn't, a, this wasn't, wasn't a nice message. I walked in this and I shed some tears and I opened my heart and I took some risks and I, I, I lost the favor of one or two people who thought I was going wacky. But I decided it was worth it because I wanted to get rid of the orphan aspects of my heart. So he says, I will restore you. And the, so don't be afraid. I will show you, I will restore to you joy, peace, hope, passion. And the final thing, which again, I just think is amazing. I had a very bad father relationship. Um, my dad wasn't good to me. Um, he was mentally ill. I grew up terribly afraid of my dad. And he controlled the house with fear in terms of if ever any of us, as we got into teenage years, wanted to do something outside the box, he would always threaten to kill himself. That was his, his way of coping, was if it wasn't going his way, he controlled the whole family by the threat of killing himself. And he'd take his tablets and he would sit for hours in the room and play this jolly harmonica. Whenever I hear a harmonica being played, I think, I think of my dad playing sad songs about death. Danny boy, but come ye back. Oh, dear me, I don't want to ever hear Danny boy ever again. You may love it, it's up to you. But the most, best thing, I just love this. It says, it says here, don't be afraid. I'll show you kindness. I will restore to you. And it says, you will always eat at my table, at the king's table. You know, you've lost everything. You've lost everything. Your dad is dead. You can't walk. Basically, you're useless. You're gubbed. You're living in the driest, darkest place in the universe. But guess what? From now on, I, I nearly went into a song there from that great showman. What's that? What's the song, wasn't it? From now on, Hugh Jackman. He look. He looks a bit like me. From now on, you will live and eat at my table. Wow. What's he saying? He's saying, "You've got no family. Join my family." Can you see it? You've got no family. I had a bad father experience. Margaret had a great dad experience. But we've both got the same heavenly father. And I'm going to sit at the table of the king. When I go to heaven, I'm going to be joint heirs with Jesus. Royal blood. From now on. Royal blood. I might, God might let me learn Greek words in heaven. I don't know hope not 
For you know, for Mephibosheth, he was no longer an orphan, but he was a child of the king. But you know, the sad thing is, this is where God had just nearly finished. He'd heard all this good news, but you see, his pain was so great, and this is why I understand there'll be some people who don't get this today. Put it into your memory banks. Five years from now, maybe you will. Because for me, as I said, up to 40, I was in denial. And you know, a denial is an Egypt in river. It's an Egypt where we shouldn't go. Come out of denial. And uh, so I understand that. But it's just, it's, just, it's just this amazing picture of God just doing this stuff for us. But what does Mephibosheth say after all that good news? He bows down and says, what, are, what do you want to, anything to do with a dead dog like me? Can you see how strong the orphan grip is? He's got all this good news. He's coming thinking he's going to die. And the king has just told him, don't be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to give you all the land that your dad lost. And from now on, you're going to eat at my table. You think you'd be going, hey, diddly dee, a king's life for me. You think you'd be ecstatic, or am I misreading it? But he says, having heard all the good news, well, what's that got to do with a dead dog like me? And you know, sometimes we feel like dead dogs. We feel not worthy of all of this amazing Hesed, Hesed is in the room. I think it's what I felt in my spirit when I went round to walk and you were all worshipping. I felt you were all starting to sense, to feel the Hesed, the grace of God in the place. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, said Jesus at the start. And I believe... In my case, it took a long time to deal with all these issues. But I had to make a start. And so today we want to make a start. Margaret, would you come onto the, the piano? Would you mind? Would you close your eyes with me? Would you close your eyes with me? I feel that I'd like to end with God's scripture in your ears going to hand back to Simon after Margaret's there and if he wants to go anywhere further with it that's entirely up to him but as our eyes are closed he says I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you and my orphan heart has been dealt with Mephibosheth's orphan heart has been dealt with and I just wonder as through the foolishness of preaching in the stumbling of words, whether there's something in your spirit is recognizing that there are issues. Because you invited him, you prayed the prayer, you invited him in to minister. And I just wonder if there's anybody here who's thinking, you know, I recognize there's issues in my heart that I need Hesed to touch. I need the amazing, beautiful, magnificent grace of God to touch. If that's you, don't want to embarrass anybody, but if that's you, 
as your eyes are closed, please, because I'm going to get you to respond this way. Church full of people. I'm just going to just glance around the church and in just a moment. If you feel this is God's word for you, would you do something for me? Would you just slip your hand up? And when I see your hand and acknowledge it, put it down again. If you're saying this morning, God bless you, see you there, God bless you, 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 oh, a lot of hands. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, on the back row there, God bless you all here at the, God bless you, God bless you, all over the church. God bless you, put your hands down again. If there's anybody else who's not lifted the hand, just wait five more seconds for you, for you to make that response. If that's you, you've got to own this. You've got to see it for yourself before you can... Anybody, God bless you. See you there, put your hand down. God bless you. See you there at the back, put your hand down. Is there anybody else who just needs to own this? God bless you. Two hands. Well, God bless you there. Double portion. Oh, Father, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And I just felt it would be good to end with God's word. Margaret did this yesterday. Um, I've asked her to repeat it. Just to play scripture over you. And she's going to say some scriptures. Because I believe in the power of the word. I believe in preaching. But I believe God's word has power, do you? And what you're about to hear is the truth of what God thinks about you. Not what you think about you, but what God thinks about you. But could I just pray for you first and ask God to minister and then Margaret's going to play and then Simon can come and take over. Father, I thank you for the amazing privilege of being allowed to speak to these incredible people of God. I really felt that you're on the cuffs for something here, Lord. And I just feel that this message will actually help us to go another step further. For those people who put their hands up, Lord, and they prayed at the start, here's my backstage, Lord, and you have spoken to them. And would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you come, Holy Spirit, and first thing I pray, would you lift off fear? that they'll never be afraid to say there are issues of orphanness in my heart. And I pray, Lord, that fear goes because God's love is here in the place. And I pray for the mist, for the weight, for the kebab, the glory of God's love to fill this church. And Lord, we thank you this is a safe place for tears. Would you come and let them know in the midst of any anxiety and fears, it's going to be okay. Take my hand. I will help you. Do not be afraid. I take you by the right hand and say to you, do not fear. I will help you. Lord, I'm praying I'm from Derbyshire and we have a saying, it's better felt than telt. And I'm praying that the amazing, amazing, amazing Hesed grace, the magnificent, absolutely stupendous grace of God 
would show kindness to these people? Would you show kindness to them? And Lord, that kindness, one of the manifestations will be you, you will restore. For those that have lost joy, would you restore joy? For those who've lost peace, would you download peace, Lord? For those, Lord, who are grieving, would you bring comfort? Please show kindness to these people. And Lord, I pray that they would know in their knower that they have a place at the king's table. And I pray as I finish my prayer, I just pray just for a few minutes as scripture is breathed into the atmosphere, this scriptures will come backstage and touch our hearts. In Jesus' name. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make straight your paths. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. 
They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. I will show you kindness. I will restore you. You will eat at my table. Nancy Stern with a couple of eyes. I was saying yesterday to Kevin that um, when I first went to Glasgow, they'd have these long, prolonged times of just soaking in the presence of God. And, and you know, I, I found it very hard <laughs> to sit for longer than five seconds. There's always things to do or... And over time, um, the Spirit of God just began to soften my heart and open up my life to him in a way that was very different. And uh, I found myself after six or seven years finding the opposite problem. And the problem was we were in the middle of a massive revival in Glasgow with all kinds of healings, nightly meetings, hundreds of people coming from all over the nation to be healed by God. And in the daytime, I would just soak in God's presence and Jane was kind enough to permission me to do that and when they'd knock on the door I would dread that knock at five to seven the meeting was about to start be one of the team saying Simon it's time to come down and I used to think no where is the time gone it felt like five minutes but it had been five hours we are so acclimatized to this world it's going to take time to be reorientated to the heavenly realms. Don't, don't be hard on yourself if you haven't felt any great thing this morning. But keep coming back to God. Keep coming back to Him and just being with Him. You know, He doesn't need you to say anything. He doesn't need you to sing anything. <laughs> That's all about us in many ways. It's awakening us to His greater reality. Just be with Him. And those who wait in the Lord... A strength will come that's so supernatural yet powerfully gentle that your life will be marinated, marinated and saturated in the love of God. And then I think it's time for us to go out into our world and reveal his heart to other people. Will you stand with me, please? I just want you to know, Kevin, I've been eyeing up this glass of water for the last three hours. 
Would you show your appreciation to Kevin and Margaret for their <laughs>